Would you join me this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to read just three verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8. Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows abundantly shall also reap abundantly. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Amen. You may be seated. Wrapped in those three verses, to me, just providing surface reading highly suggests that there is a remedy, arguably a process, whereby one can excel in both their wealth as well as their wealth inwardly in terms of growing. We're dealing with those four subtitles I told you as we wrestled with the theme the year of the stretch continues as God desires for us in the word to grow in our walk with him. As we are growing, God says, I want you to glow, which is to illuminate what I'm doing through you. But I also want you to understand the necessity of giving for I love a cheerful giver. And then I want you to understand the importance of once you've gathered that spiritual nourishment, how critical it is to go out and share the good news with others. We've been wrestling with growing and glowing, and today we want to look at this issue of giving. And when we read in the words of 2 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter, there's a high suggestion that giving seems to open the door of God giving back unto us as well. But some folk just don't give. And they don't give for several reasons. Alongside the name of John Deere, the famed individual who created some of what we now know as earth-moving equipment is the name that you may not be familiar with, Robert Latorne. Latorne was an interesting man in that in the 1920s, he began his business likewise of developing earth-moving equipment. He was also a Christian, and in his heart he had this desire to serve missions in a very 
powerful way. And so he tithed on everything that he ever made. In 1920, when he began his business, the first year, he made $33,000. That might not sound like a lot to us now, but in 1920, I think that was a pretty substantial earning. But instead of doing what he typically does, which is the tithe, he decided that he would take the tithe and reinvest it back into the company. And his thinking was, if I did that, then think of the return that I'm going to get by way of profit next year, and then I can double what I've been given, if not more, in terms of my giving of tithes. Unbeknown to him, maybe he overlooked the word that says God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The next year, he did not make $33,000. In fact, he lost $100,000. In losing, he concluded that he did the one thing that you and I certainly do not desire to do, and that is to rob God of his tithe and offerings. He repented to God and believed that if he would do what God told him, as he previously was doing, that success was in his horizon. Here's a wealth principle for you that I'm going to try to give you every time I talk about giving. I'm going to give you these small wealth principles hoping that you catch the spirit of them and in return begin to internalize them in your life and watch how they bring about transformation. Your income can grow only to the extent that you grow. Your income can only grow to the extent that you grow. Here's an example, and I'll get back to Latourne's story. Lottery winners, it's a known fact statistically that over some 80% of lottery winners, no matter what the amount is, in less than two, maybe three years, end up back in their original state economically. And that's because being wealthy is not necessarily about the money. I'll say it again. Being wealthy is not necessarily about the money, at least initially. What you have to become wealthy with is your mindset. You have to grow your mind so that as your mind grows, you are prepared to handle whatever wealth comes unto you. Latorne says that when he began to tithe, the next three years, he gave back to God and his business quadrupled. He registered in 1935 $1 million profit. 1936, $2 million profit. By 1940, $15 million profit. All because he decided that it's important that I tithe. In the process, he did something that you probably never hear anyone doing. 
He made a conscious decision because he trusted God and believed that tithing and giving was that important to him and his primary method in terms of giving was through missions. And he believed because he trusted God with everything that God had given him, he made a decision to live off of 10% of his income and give away 90% of his income. When I read that, I sat there in my study and read back in the chair and I said to myself, man, that's radical. 90% of giving and live off of 10%. That's radical. But here's what he said as he was shortly uh, beginning to make his transition Tornay say he believed in what's called the great harvest law of the New Testament. And it's not profound. It doesn't hold a whole lot of philosophical terms. It's not heavy, again, in terminology. You don't have to have a dictionary to, to interpret it. He said he believed in a very simple principle that's found right here in 2 Corinthians 9, and that is we reap what we we sow. I don't have to call back Eric Dyson to help me out with that one. I don't need a PhD in engineering. I don't have to have a PhD in linguistics. I don't have to have any. Listen, we reap what we sow. And he says that if a man reaps little, he's sown little. If he reaps much, he's reaped much. He enjoyed explaining to people the principle that we must give money back to God if we expect to succeed financially. He says, it's not how much money I give to God that is important. He said, it's how much of God's money I keep for myself that's important which couched him in making the decision, I'm giving God 90%, keeping 10. And as a result, his family never went hungry. He never had need in terms of that could not have been met. And generationally, he left the business to his children. And today it still stands all because of a belief in we reap what we sow. In your bulletin, there's an outline, and I gave you that outline just so you can have something to make a note on, and I want to give you four reasons why people don't give. There are many more, but I based this on a survey that I came upon. Actually, it was a five-year study that was done by the Pew Research Group uh, that found out between 10 to 25% of people who attend church only give. And that shouldn't be abnormal to us. We pretty much know that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, and giving falls in that same category as well. But the idea is that there is something being missed out when you fail to give to the work of God. The opportunity to grow and mature in Christ is missed by us when we hold a clenched fist 
with what God has given us. And we live in such a modern technological age where we've even made giving so accessible, not just in the orphan plate on Sunday morning, but online giving is made available. And if you're really sophisticated, which is not really being sophisticated anymore, it's becoming a norm, you have mobile apps of your church and you can go on and simply begin to give. As a church leader, it's concerning to me, it's a concern of mine as to why people don't give because stewardship is arguably a very sensitive subject when you start talking about it. Money. When you start talking about people's money, people get radical. They get disturbed. They don't want you to know their business. It's really not about knowing your business. And I'm, I'm contending that I don't have to know numbers. I just want you to understand the principle of why it's important to give to the work of God. The first one I list on the bulletin is for you is that people don't give because they don't believe. They may profess that they are Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that could very well be true. If I get a hold of Romans 10, 9, and 10, and I believe that, I'm born again, says the scripture. But beyond that, what do I believe? Do I really believe the principle of reaping and sowing according to Mark chapter 4? Which soil am I? Am I good soil and am I the person who is willing to give that others might reap the benefit of my giving? Some people don't believe in giving because they think they are those in the church who are fleecing or who are stealing or who are mishandling, misappropriating funds. You do have an accountability responsibility to make sure that whosoever is giving and where you're giving to is accountable, but let's make sure we understand the real reason why we're giving to the work of God and we're giving, although in the physical context of a church, it's my reverence unto God and it's my, it's my belief that if I give it, God has promised to prosper it. He's going to grow it if this principle is right in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he that sows abundantly will reap abundantly. Here's a simple aspect of that. Don't think that if you give a dollar, that you should get back a million. It's probably not going to happen. Because sparingly sowing says you didn't drop enough to get back a million worth. But abundant sowing says if I gave 10,000 I'll show you if I give 100,000, then I may have an expectation of a million. Why? Well, the Bible says in Luke 8 that if I sow in abundance in good soil, 
I can have the expectation. In fact, I'll go back and say 10,000. I can have the expectation to get a hundredfold return. That's Bible. Y'all don't know that because you don't read your Bible. That's why you don't know it. That's Bible. Luke chapter 8, read it for yourself. If I sow it like that, I can have the expectation, says the word, for a hundredfold return. Now, some people don't believe because they have not yet kicked in their faith to believe that whatever I sow, I can reap in return. Because working in the process of reaping and sowing is a faith process. The second reason I tell you why people don't give, not only because they don't believe, and in fact, to handle the disbelief portion, that's a heart issue. They've got to overcome the hurdle in their heart to handle why they don't believe in God's process of financially supplying for us. The second reason they don't believe is because they don't know why. And they don't know why, because they don't have a solid biblical foundation in terms of economics in the Bible. So they're trying to use worldly principles to be blessed in a spiritual context. And I'm here to tell you, it don't work. It doesn't mix. Why? Because the biblical aspect of it doesn't even make sense. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Check this out. Give, and it shall be given back unto you. But the prerequisite is, I need you to give first. Now, the world says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, you get first. And then you give. No, God says, no, you give first and then you get. There's a juxtaposition in how God works. Here's another one. We want to go up, but God says you don't get to go up until first you go down. We want to be in the circle. Nope. God says that's not going to happen until first you are on the outside of the circle understanding what is in the inside of the circle. In other words, when you don't have a solid biblical foundation as to why I should give, I'm not even going to talk about the tithe. I'm talking about giving, period. Why I should give, then you won't give. You hold your money. When you hold your money, you need to read the book of, Ma uh, book of Haggai chapter 1 because here's what will happen. God says when you hold your money and you refuse to support my work because you are under my name, you will begin to have holes in your purse. And as you put your money in there, you will wonder how so quickly it evaporates. That's because you robbed me. And you took away from me what was right. In fact, what's rightfully mine is the entire 100% because I gave you the strength. Go back and read the book of Deuteronomy. I'm the one that gives you the strength and the power to get wealth. And I'm the one who gives you the strength every day to get up and go get wealth. And I'm simply asking you, give a tithe. Give as I prospered you. And you're going to tell me you're not going to give it to me? I'll just let holes come in your pocket. In fact, in Malachi, he says... I'll let the devourer take everything that you got. Because you trying to cheat me. And how you going to cheat me? I created the game. 
So people don't give, not only because they don't believe, but because they don't know why. They don't know why should I give to the church. They have never learned or been taught how to look at and manage their resources for God's glory and for their own good. So they have to wrestle with why should I give. Another reason why they don't give is because people are in transition. And by that I mean they may be growing in their faith in the Lord, but their growth trajectory is not neat. It's not a straight line. It's a curve here, a up here, there, a dip down here, a U-turn over here. It's never a straight line because that's the way they've managed to direct their life. One reason why I'm trying to help us understand it is because those of us who've lived a while, we've made so many mistakes in the past when it comes to money, we're not even going to talk about giving to God, that we now have gathered enough sense to know there's something better than the way we've been doing it. We're trying to alert young people before you get out into the real world and you know you got to really pay bills. Now, if you're still in college, you ain't really got no bill. You just still living off of your mom and dad. And when you come out of college, you may have student loans. And student loan is going to be a good place to start how, to learn how to start trusting God and to exercise financial management. Because the longer you have that loan, the more money they're going to make and the more it's going to cost you because the interest rate is going to keep on creeping up. But we're also trying to head you off from a disaster that you can learn some principles early in your life. It's a known fact that we exercise arguably economically in terms of principles what we learned and what we saw as a child. Our minds were programmed and as we got older, that's how my mama did it, that's how my daddy did it, that's how my uncle did it, that's how we did it, and then we started doing it. Not measuring the value of why we do that. And in return, we create some problems for ourselves and economically, we find ourselves on the short end of the stick and I'm trying to head off young folk who may be in their 20s, you just starting. And I'm here to tell you, no, Listen, don't listen to the world system that credit is your friend. It is not your friend. I'm here to tell you, research. Look at your grandparents' generation. Go before that when there were no credit cards and the process of exchange was cash only. Because there were only a few people who could get revol shouldn't say revolving, installment credit. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm trying to help you out. Listen, listen to your pastor. Do you hear me? Listen to me real clearly, young people. You don't need to amass an incredible amount of credit card debt. It will drown you. It will choke you to death. I know you don't want to drive that 2005 Honda. It's old, outdated, ain't got no CD player in it. I mean, it ain't got no USB port, all that kind of thing. You don't need it. You ain't got no money. (laughs) 
And as long as you hold the title to that car, you better hold on it until your finance get right where you can afford to buy another car. And if you can help it, don't buy the car on credit. I know y'all saying, Pastor done lost his mind. I ain't thinking about Pastor. Listen to me. You say that now. Listen to me. This is an old guy. You don't want to do that if you don't have to. I bet you if I ask every person in this room who is over 55, if you could do it all over again, would you do your finances the same way if you had a chance to do it? See that? I, ain't, I didn't get finished with my, I didn't get finished. They already know. They already know. No, I wouldn't do it the same way. Because they know. Time has taught them there's a better way to do this. No, but that ain't the clincher. Here's the clincher. When they sit back and think about all the money they could have saved, man, they, it, if they anything like me, they punch themselves in the face. They just beat themselves all up. Think about what I could have had. Man, if I had saved that money, I could have been there. I could have been driving this and still had plenty of money in the bank. But now I'm not there. Because no one taught me about financial management. And I've been a Christian since I was 16 years old. And I never really learned about giving to church until I got older in my years. Never learned about giving to church. Nobody taught me when I became a Christian about why you need to give to the ministry of God. I had no biblical foundation, but yet I'm in transition. In transition because I'm learning now, as many young people are, they're learning what money is and what it means. Here's a frightening thing. We're transitioning as a culture away from cash and everything now is electronic. That's dangerous to me. Now, this is the preacher in me, so chalk it up to my preacher interpretation. We're marching toward the fulfillment of Revelation 6 to 19. We're making slow progress because they're already now offering, particularly in Europe, the opportunity for you, instead of carrying a debit card, instead of carrying a, a credit card, you can have a chip installed under your hand and when you go to the grocery store, you just scan it. And if my memory serves me real correctly, John says, beware, that's a mark of the Antichrist, that's a mark of the beast, that's an indication that you are in the wrong camp. So we're in transition is why we don't give. But there's another reason. People don't give because they're in difficult financial seasons. Let's face it, life can be tough. We can make bad decisions sometimes that lead us down the wrong road. It, it looks good at the moment. And man, they can paint up those deals and make it sound so good. And they can give you another year to repay. It sounds so great. But none of that None of that includes being able to confront the unexpected in the journey. They can't tell you that the transmission is going to go out in the car or that the washing machine is going to go out, refrigerator is going to go out. 
Can't tell you that your son or daughter is going to need braces or that they're going to have to have a major operation that's going to provide, that's going to have to have in return lots of medication which your insurance does not cover. Didn't tell you any of that. Oh yeah, and that's another one too. Have you noticed, this happened to me twice. Uh, bought a new car and no sooner than the warranty ran out, I, and my Hummer, listen to me, my Hummer, uh, two weeks after the warranty ran out, two weeks, the entire instrument cluster went dead. So I take it back, you know, to Almore Cadillac thinking, that, you know, hey, shoot, I got it, it's going to be all right. And when that joker told me $500, I said, wait a minute, hold on. The only thing is gone is the odometer reading. That's it. That, that's the only thing that's really out. Mr. Murphy, we can't just replace the odometer meter. We got to replace the whole cluster. I said, the devil is alive. I just roll around not knowing how many miles I got on this junk. <laughs> that ain't going to happen to me. A $10 part, and you're going to tell me I got to pay you 500 something dollars for the part alone, not including labor to put it back? Uh-uh. I just want to know how many miles I got on this thing. <laughs> I don't plan on getting rid of it anyway. I still got it out there, so I, I, I know how many miles is on there, but whoever buys it won't know unless I tell them. <laughs> now, truth be known, unfortunately for me, I eventually had to get it replaced. But I said to myself, isn't there something? Two weeks after the warranty goes out, it makes me think, did y'all design these cars where, you know, this part will endure for X amount of time and, and right about when the warranty is gone, bang, there it is. These are pitfalls that create difficult financial seasons for people. And you can't handle that Watch this. If you haven't prepared in giving to God. Now, I know you're trying to say, Pastor, what in the world has that got to do with my car breaking down? Watch what God does. Go back to the text in 2 Corinthians 9 and listen to what Paul says in terms of giving and what God will do for you in return. He says, first of all, in verse 6, that you're going to reap what you sow. That's just the bottom line. Okay, We got that settled. He says in verse 7, let each of you, watch this, notice he doesn't say, I'm not telling you to give a tithe. Read it closely. I know it's foreign to you. That's the reason why you're in this sanctuary this morning, so your pastor can teach you something about giving. He didn't say a tithe. He said, I want each of you to do as you purposed in your heart. Once again, we're back to the initial point I said. It's a hard issue. Giving, you got to get over the fact in your heart whether or not you're going to give. You got to decide, I'm giving because I want to based on God's provision to me. So I want to give also because I know what it means to be without. That's one reason why uh, this year, at some point, don't know which one it is, I'm going to get a hold of all of you who uh, went to HBCUs. And what I want you to do is to give us an education on what it means to survive in an HBCU. And I'm not talking about you young folk. No, y'all got it made. We, we made it good for y'all. I'm talking about the older folk back in the 60s and the 70s who had to work and labor 
and pray that that tuition be paid. Who made connections with people in the institution. Miss Lula made behind the cafeteria line. <laughs> and when I came through, she put me a little extra potatoes on the plate. Threw me another piece of chicken on the plate. Threw me some more green beans on the plate. And then told me, when you get finished, baby, come on back up here. I got a little plate for you to take to the room with you. That's what I'm talking about. Them kind of folk who helped me understood how to stretch and to survive when I'm going through a financial crisis. And I want to also hear what your mama and daddy did when they brought you boxes to school, yeah, care packages, when they bought you plates of fried chicken, they brought you stuffed cakes and pies, and although nutritionally it probably was way off the chart, it lasts you for two, three weeks. Other folk want to know, can I get some? Nope, this got to last me for another two, three weeks. Absolutely not. This got to last me. One chicken leg for breakfast, one chicken leg for lunch, and I might stretch to a wing during dinner, but this going to last me for the rest of the week. A gallon of Kool-Aid. You ain't buy no Pepsi. You ain't have no money to buy no Pepsi, no Coke. You got that Kool-Aid. Yeah, that Flavor-Aid. That's right, that Flavor-Aid. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> That flavor. Put that 25 pound of sugar in there, boy, but you good to go. <laughs> Somebody try to figure out how you stay up all night. If you drunk as much Kool-Aid as I drunk, you stay up all night. But they're in difficult financing. We, we need that wisdom. That's the reason why we make unwise choices because we haven't been informed. And the best people to inform me is the folk who've been on the trail, who's walked through the journey, and who can tell me. So Paul says, I want you to make sure you understand, when you talk about giving, you got to do it from your heart. Look at verse 7. He says, because I don't want you to give it grudgingly, nor just because the pastor stood up and said, y'all need to give, do I want you to give. Why, why are you giving? Because the pastor said, we, nope. Nope, that's not what Paul says in verse 7. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. I'm giving because I thank God that somebody gave to me. And I thank the Lord that when there were no doors open, God amazingly opened a door. And I'm giving because I know what it means to have to have hunger pains and somebody came through for me. I'm giving because I want to see someone blessed. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion or under the force of the pastor, but God loves a cheerful giver. Here's my last point. God says, when you give to me, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. I want you to give because I'm going to show you when you give to me, if we read Proverbs, your cupboard will never go empty. 
Your vats, here's the analogy the proverb writer lose, uses, the vats to hold your wine, they'll never run out. And the principle comes to life in the book of Kings because the widow who meets Elijah the prophet and Elijah tells her in her dying moment, she says, I'm about to make a meal that me and my son going to die. Elijah says, no, make me a cake first. But then there's another story where Elisha tells the widow, listen, how much barrel, how much meal do you have in the barrel? And she didn't have very many. He says, go around and collect a little bit from every neighbor you got bring it back to the barrel and because she was obedient in accumulating the barrel never ran out look at verse 8 God said or God is able to make all grace abound to you so let me help you out if all you give is $10, you better give that $10 with a willing heart and sow that seed and say, Lord, I'm not able to give more than $10 right now, but you know what? I'm going to believe in my heart. You're going to help me break this financial cycle in my life, and you're going to help me get out of this jam, and I'm going to seek the wisdom of your word that I might get understanding as to how to handle my finance. And I believe in doing that, God, you're going to increase me because I can't get any more than I'm able to handle in terms of my mind. And as you grow me, I'm going to grow in my giving. I'm going to go beyond what a tithe is. I'm going to be blessed and give as you prosper me and look at what verse 8 says God will make all grace abound toward you you know what that means God I ain't got no money to repair this car I don't know what I'm going to do you tell a few people and watch what happened God let that word drop in the right person's spirit and I understand you need so and so done your car don't worry about it bring it back to me I'll, I'll help you get taken care of but I don't have any money don't worry about that I do this for a living don't worry about it it's my blessing to you and you don't know it's not really that it's God's working through him because of your ten dollar y'all don't believe that y'all don't believe that do you y'all don't believe that God can work like that do you you need, you need a coat. You need a coat, and the coat that you want costs $100. And you just go by every other week at Brother Coat Frank looking at that coat. Man, I like to have that coat. And have you know she's been going by for the last two months, and the coat is still there. And you keep saying, man, I tell you that, every time I think I get a little money to get this thing, it just doesn't work out. But I... I really like to have this coat. One time you go there and somebody's in the store. Hey, yeah, we know each other. We got the ticket and talking and current on. And yeah, I'm just here looking at this coat. You know, I just, I just want this coat, but I, you know, I just don't have the money. Oh, pick that. Come on, let's go. Why? No, I don't want you to. Girl, ain't nothing but a blessing to me. Don't worry about that, girl. God has blessed me so much. I don't have a problem blessing you at all. Man, come on, man. It's a coat. I can't let you go cold, bruh. That's God. Listen, the Bible says that God shows up in what we call a theophany. That means that God can show up in a person that you don't even recognize who they are in the sense that it's God working through them. I just believe that. I just believe that. 
And that's what he meant. God will make all grace abound to you. Look at this. That always <clears throat> having all sufficiency. Look at this. Underlining your Bible. In everything. All things. That says to me that God is saying it don't matter what it is. It don't matter what it is. I'll make it work for you. You just don't stop giving as I prospered you. But you give. And watch how I bless your life. Uh, I have a person, a good friend of mine, and I know this works. This joker don't even go to church. And I tell him, man, you, you know, you bless, the Lord blesses you, and you don't even give him any honor. I know, man, but you know, Sundays is my only time that I have to do what I want to do. Can't really what I tell you what I really tell him because we in church, and I don't want to say the wrong. I don't, I don't want you to know what I say. Uh, won't quite be appropriate for the pastor. But, you know, we, we bros behind closed doors. Man, listen, you, you need to at least once a month. Go to church. Well, you know, man, I was raised up in church and all that. You know, my mama didn't even go to church every Sunday, man. I say once I got grown, you know, I was going to do my own thing. I said, were you saying that when you had that heart attack? When you had that triple bypass? I, I'm, I'm just asking. Is that what you were saying? No, you were asking me. Pray for me, man. I should have said it's going to cost you. May cost you a little, may cost you a lot, but it's going to cost you. No, you owe me $15 to make that prayer. That's a lot of work that I got to do on your behalf. And the reason why I'm making the point about him, folk give him stuff all the time. I mean, just flood stuff to him, just give him stuff. And I just look at him, I go, man, I don't know how you do it. As mean as you are and as evil as you are, people just give you stuff. And then he has the nerve to say to me, man, I'm just blessed of the Lord. I said, well, isn't that something? You think? Wow. And that's why you need to go to church. Because here's the thing. If you got enough sense to know in your evilness that that's God who's blessing you, you owe him some recognition, not out here, but in his house. Look at what verse, verse 8 says, and then I'm done. Giving us sufficiency in everything. Look at here. Here it is. Here's my shouting point. You may have an abundance for every good deed. I, I'm a believer. I've been here for 20 years. I'm a believer that Great Lausanne is successful not because, and I say success, I mean we're still standing after 128 years. But this church has always been, since I've been here, in various projects, we've always been a giving church. Always. And then the provision that we made this morning to human trafficking. And what is that, second story? Second story. Those, the money 
they know how to deal with that. But the money is nothing. That's, that's just our venue to sow. Next week, I'm going to teach y'all about, you got to understand something about God's working. You can't go off of what you see. I'm, I'm learning this at almost 60. You can't go off what you see. God don't work like that. It's what you don't see. It's underneath the earth. We're sowing seeds. I'll probably never meet any of the individuals that they're blessing, that they're providing a way for. I, I may never meet them. And it's not an issue for me because I know that the deed is being met because God has written it down in glory. And I know that in the giving of that deed, it's God who supplies the need for us to do that. And every time we come out with a project, this church never fails at giving us the necessary resources. In fact, we go over and beyond. And for me, that's the reason why God sustains us. And that's why we can't panic. We can't panic if things go up and go down. Don't panic because the same God that has been keeping us all along is the same God who will keep us until eternity. And so I want you to understand the importance of why God wants us to be a giving people. Cheerfully giving. Because I know I'm blessed of God and highly favored. And if I have to give a hundred dollars to help to make sure that some young woman, some young girl who hasn't even begun to meet the peak of maturity is not exploited, that her identity is not reduced to something other than humanity, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be more than a church that preaches the gospel on Sunday. Someone's got to see the fruit that fall from our tree. And we've got to do that, and we do that by giving to the kingdom of God. And God works through those hands. I'm grateful that that's their mission. That's their calling. Because for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget all about the person who's being abused. I'm looking for the abuser. Yeah, I'm, I, I would want to be one of your counselors, but unfortunately, I wouldn't fit the bill. Because if I have to go out there and meet the person who's doing this, you know, Fairfax County be all around. You'd be, you be all in the news. Pastor, assaults, accuser. It'd just be bad for the organization. Just wouldn't do any good. And then I have stuff hidden on me that they won't see. And you know. I, I, I told folks yesterday, you know, you can take the pastor out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the pastor. I'm still straight up gangster every now and then if I have to. I, cut you whatever I got to do to get things done I know that ain't religious but the reality is I am who I am because I say in the words of Paul you reap what you sow yeah Miss Murphy is the balance 
she's sanity, I'm insanity. It is, she's the balance there. Some people don't give for various reasons. And they're in different financial seasons. But the way to get out of that season is to give your way out. It's not about the amount. It's about the principle and the practice. You have thought about this. Does God really need for me to give him a tithe? Think about this. If the psalmist is right when the psalmist says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. If the psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness there. Now, if I own it all, why need you to give me a tithe? It's not about that. It's about the principle of trusting me and believing that I can multiply what you have. And I believe that when you become a giver, God multiplies what you have. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise in this place. <clears throat> in this moment in the program, you'll notice I have what's called a connecting moment, a moment of connection. Because I want us to begin to connect to the Lord Jesus Christ because God, through his son, gave us not only the greatest gift, but provides for us consistent gifts. And because of not only who Jesus is, but what he done for us at Calvary, he opens up for us the doors of opportunity to bless someone else's life again. And I want you to think about where you are in terms of your connection with God